Hey everyone, and welcome to the Darkcast. This is DCI number 141, and I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. In this episode, Brian Tyler joins me as we talk to Tyler Meyer and Tim Windorf about their new game, Shadows of Adam. Shadows of Adam is a classic JRPG with modern sensibilities. You can find more information and the links in the show notes to this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. Tyler, Tim, welcome to the Darkcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing great. Awesome. I know I already asked that question before <laughs> we actually started, you know, recording. Um, I'm glad the answer hasn't changed though. So the, the pre-interview interview. We just like to make sure the answers stay the same. Right. That that way right. we can make sure test. you're not lying. It's uh, you know, telling the truth is very important these days. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we're here to talk about your, uh, your new game imminently releasing, uh, Shadows of Adam. Uh, but before we get into the game, let's, let's talk a little bit about who you guys are and kind of what you do. So Tim, let's, let's start with you. All right. Yeah. My name is Tim Wendorf and I'm the art director for Shadows of Adam. Been working on this game for three and a half years with Tyler. He's been about the same. And prior to that, I was an art director at Zynga and worked on Farmville for a very short period of time, but art directed a different game called Treasure Isle, which is pretty fun. You just dug up treasures as a little avatar. Cool. What did you do with those treasures? Did you just hoard um, them like a, a pirate would hoard booty? Or, or Yeah, they were just graphics, and then, and then you would collect five of a set and trade them in for cash. Cold hard cash. <laughs> the great equalizer. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. What about you, Tyler? Oh, well, I'm Tyler Meir. I'm the composer for Shadows of Adam. And uh, my, my day job is as a professional trumpet player and composer. And uh, like Treasure Isle, there is lots of pirates and treasure in Shadows of Adam. Fantastic. Treasure's great. Are there are there like actual um, pirates and ship fearing and and whatnot in Shadows of Adam? Oh yeah, tons of pirates. Good. They're nice. kind of like uh, the most important side characters, I'd say. Okay. Probably. Interesting. Interesting. That's pirates. Yeah, I'd agree yeah. with that. Okay. I feel like we haven't gotten enough pirates lately. Like there was this big, you know, there was the whole pirates versus ninja thing for a while, and all that just got eaten up by zombies. And but now... yeah, nothing, nothing ever came of that. Like yeah. that was a great philosophical argument of, um, and like a good side picker. But no, there weren't any like real pirate slash. I mean, there was one ninja game, and that was pretty good. I, I think the I answer was in yeah pirates. Well, I think the answer was in the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? That did, did they find that yet? I mean. I mean, I'm sure they did. It's just, you know, it's, it's hidden until the appropriate time. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say pirates won out. Because there's pirate movies every year, but there are ninja movies. There, is, there was that one ninja assassin movie, which is funny because that's like saying assassin, assassin. Um, right. And that, but, and that was all right. That was great. But That's, that's another mean, question, assassins. Yeah. Right? I think they beat out ninjas and pirates. Mm, yeah. And technically, you wouldn't be able to see a ninja movie, right? Because if you see a ninja, you're probably dead. And that's the whole thing about that. Yeah. Sure. It's like seeing Chuck Norris. Um, that's right. That's, that's very fair. Yeah, that's that's probably true. We would probably have this like mass uh, epidemic going on if there was a ninja movie, because <laughs> just you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people are, are dying in theaters, and nobody knows why. Nobody knows what movie they went to see. They just all went to see the same movie and ended up dead. Um, so it's probably a good thing. It's probably a good thing. Uh, are there ninjas in Shadows of Adam? No, no, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no All ninjas. Right. So, oh, there's so, a bird. A bird maybe constitutes as one. Yeah, so I like guess a, a ninja bird? Ninja okay. stars. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's kind of a ninja. The subspecies of bird that's in the ninja family. Yeah, you know? they chug potions and toss ninja stars. <laughs> That's fantastic right there. That's, um... For, forget pirates, ninjas, and assassins. We've got uh, birds that throw ninja stars. 
that's that's great. Yeah, I think we got our elevator, our new elevator pitch. Buy Shadows of Adam and has birds that throw ninja stars. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I'm I'm in now. Um, <laughs> uh, can uh, can you guys talk a little bit, uh, kind of about your your background? Uh, Tim, you mentioned that uh, you worked for Zynga and uh, Tyler. You know, your uh, composer slash trumpet player. Uh, but can you talk just a little bit more about kind of your history, getting into the industry and, and whatnot? Uh, Tim, if you want to go ahead and start. Okay. Um, yeah, I started way back in back in high school in RPG Maker days, uh, playing around with that and making my own games, learning how to code in that program and pixel art at the same time. Prior to that, I'd always been encouraged to do art and was making video game stuff. Even when I was eight, just drawing on paper like uh, instruction manuals for fake games and things like that. <laughs> so like, that carried on all the way to high school when I got when I was just slacking off, looking on sites and managed to find RPG Maker. So I kept doing that. And um, afterwards, I just like quit a job one day to make pixel art for somebody on some RPG Maker forums. And that led to a whole bunch of work after that over a long period of time. Awesome. Uh, you you saying the uh, making fake manuals for for video games? Uh, when I was a kid, I I used to write instructions for fake board games. Um, so, you know, if yeah. That that's that. Do I don't ever, know why. Uh, I've never made a board game. I don't know the last time I played a board game, but I, I used just... to make instruction manuals for board games. <laughs> that's funny. Um, I mean, I made board games, but never instruction manuals <laughs> for them. Wait, were the instruction Should manuals probably for... probably met up in a past like, life. Yeah, were the board games actually... Like, they, were, they weren't real board games? You they were, just they were like... not real board games, no. So you're writing the rules of a game that wasn't made? Yes. That's kind of cool. I, I, don't know, I don't know why. Uh, Game Design 101. Fun, yeah. It was, it was good fun. Um, but uh, Tyler, what, what about you? Did well, you also write instructions for fake things? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I didn't do that. But uh, like Tim, um, you know, I was uh, extremely involved in the creative arts when I was younger. I, as soon as I started band, I was really interested in music composition. And um, and in high school, I stumbled upon RPG Maker. And that sort of uh, helped combine two of my passions, which was uh, JRPGs and music composition. Mm-hmm. And uh, so basically, that's been my whole life. I've never really had a day job. I've always just played music, write music. And um, when we kind of reconnected three and a half years ago to do Shadows of Adam, it seemed like a great way to sort of combine all my passions, um, take kind of um, all the things I had learned in the business, uh, leading my own bands, uh, studying in college, and uh, combining it with my uh, strong passion for these sorts of games and having, you know, I mean, the music of the older older uh, SNES era games are like the soundtrack of my life, I feel like. So once I kind of had some skills to sort of execute what was in my head, it was, it, was a, it was a good time to start working on this project. Awesome. That's really cool. Uh, now, you said you were a trumpet player. Uh, what, what, what drove you to the trumpet? Well, to be honest, I had two friends who were the great above me, and they both played trumpet, and we hung out all the time. So when the time came to pick an instrument, I said, well, I guess I'll just play trumpet too. And uh, I was growing up in Louisiana at the time, so there was, like, a bunch of Mardi Gras parades, and I remember, like, uh, the trumpet player, like, really jamming out in the front of the parade and everyone thinking it was really cool. So that was also a reason I wanted to do it. Mm. Sure. That's... It's coming up, too, Mardi Gras. It's true, yeah. Don't get much of that. Have you have you gotten to be that guy yet? Uh, you know, actually, I have done a couple. Like, uh, I have done some parades. I'm trying to think if I ever did a Mardi Gras parade, but I had a gig in like Colorado once, and we marched. It might have been Fourth of July, but we did like second line New Orleans style music. And I got to kind of jam out at front. It was a lot of fun. The community was all out there and having a good time. So yeah, I definitely enjoy that. Awesome. Sounds fun. Sounds like a lot of fun. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, so uh, you said that you guys kind of reconvened, um, you know, three, three and a half years ago to, to make the game. What was kind of the, the impetus for coming together and make uh, Shadows of Adam? Well, um, 
three year, three and a half years ago, me and an, another programmer, Shadows of Adam, Josh Garlitz, uh, we had stayed in touch. We were good. We were good friends from the old RPG Maker forums, and we had always, you know, been just sort of in touch through Skype or Facebook. And one random day, he sends me a message and says, "Hey, man, I want to I want to do another game," and uh, that was kind of it. So uh, we 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 had worked on it for about two three weeks. And we thought to ourselves, man, it would really be nice if we got like a good pixel artist. And, and that same day, I was on an old forum looking up one of Tim's old games, and I posted about it. And literally within like three, four hours, Tim replied and said, hey, I'm looking for that game too. Hey, how are you doing? We uh, sent a few private messages, and I said, hey, man, you know, uh, me and Josh are working on this project, and uh, you know, maybe you'd want to help out. And, and Tim was like, you know, I've kind of been thinking I want to do some pixel art. So that's sort of how it happened. So, um, so Tim, uh, uh-huh. Tyler, Tyler reached out to you, and uh, you were game, and we're like, yeah, let's let's do this. Um, yep, I was I just quit Zynga maybe like half a month earlier to pursue my own business and stuff. I was freelancing, um, working for some other people I used to work with at Zynga and so on and so forth. So, this was, I guess, I was looking okay. to pixel art too at that point in time which I hadn't done in maybe three or four years. I'd mostly done Vector working at Zynga. So it seemed like a good opportunity and a simple project. Simple enough, anyways. Yeah. And then three and a half years later. That's, that's when the record <laughs> scratch happens, and you're like, I wonder how I got into this position. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I kind of I put it on him with the first like money dropped on art. Snowballed yeah. ever since. Yeah, but fantastic. We're the adventure. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, if you were to uh, let's let's jump into Shadows Shadows of Adam now. Uh, if you were to describe it, besides a game that contains ninja star throwing birds, um, you know, how would you explain it to uh, people that might not know what it is? Uh, Tyler, this is you. Okay. Um, Shadows of Adam is a 16-bit neo-retro JRPG, we like to call it. Um, it sort of takes all the great things about that era of games and sort of tries to modernize it with some uh, more convenient features that were not present in those uh, titles, such as the ability to save anywhere, uh, no random battles, um, as Tim has talked about before, good first-time user experience, um, a game that is very um, easy to pick up and play at any point, which is uh, in some JRPGs is quite challenging if there's a long stretch between a save point. Mm-hmm. So we really, um, you know, as we've gone gotten older, most of us are in our late 20s and early 30s. So we have busy lives. We're, some of us are married. And, uh, you know, so when making this game, we definitely have sort of those folks in mind that might have grown up playing these games but uh, need a little bit of a more accessible experience, if that makes any sense. So we still want to capture all the greatness of those uh, older titles while still... Um, modernizing it for the modern gamer. Very cool. Very cool. What's the uh, what's kind of the the story set up for for JRPGs or for J for for Shadows of Adam? If you could just sum up all JRPGs, <laughs> all of them. All just, of them. Yeah, if you could just uh, yeah. save the world, defeat fine. God. I think yes. that's all JRPGs. That's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty yeah. accurate. Your, your dad's dead. Like your God's your hometown like is dead. Brother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Tim, if you want to take this one, I'm not going to. I think, I think that sums it up. <laughs> the premise, yeah, you, um, your dad's gone missing, and you've got um, a stepsister of sorts who's adopted into the family. She can use magic. Um, the Empire's after her. Okay. Yeah, Make basically. use of all of the pirates that are willing to help you out in the game yeah. <laughs> and, and find your dad so a land star wars yeah uh i yeah, say like the the premise is basically about um the whole backdrop of the story is about um a war that happened years ago and and the uh the uh, current populace is really skeptical of anyone who can use magic. It's kind of a terrifying and frightening power and our main heroine Azrael is has the ability to use it and um, and Kellen's father is also missing and has some mysterious connection with Azrael. And so the, the plot is basically around their journey to find out what happened to their father and sort of discover their own abilities and how they fit into this world. 
and they run into a whole group of a uh, big ragtag group of uh, uh, egomaniacal princes who are obsessed with magic, uh, pirates who are willing to give you a ride, um, crazy uh, goonies who like to fight and use one single name. Um, just lots of like crazy characters you'll run into in the adventure, and it's supposed to you know just be a fun, lighthearted, but serious uh, JRPG for the modern gamer. Awesome, and I, I assume at some point you save the world and defeat God. Um, you know, I don't want to give anything away, but <laughs> uh, when you had said, uh, if you, uh, Brian had asked, uh, just give the synopsis of every JRPG ever, and I, I, I guess if that was what I was saying, like, basically, your dad's dead, your hometown's destroyed, you must defeat God. It's about That's time so... somebody took it to that bastard. That's... Yeah. You know, we're going to go full out Xeno gears on you. <laughs> so this is confirming that there are giant robots in the game. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny that. Okay, that's fair. That's fair enough. I feel like your, your listeners are going to get this really weird picture of what Shadows of Adam is. They're going to go in thinking it's about it's a nautical themed game featuring ninja throwing birds and giant mecha robots. Uh-huh. <laughs> Wait, that's not that's what yeah, I've been so writing that's... down. That's not. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, if you say so. Um... <laughs> Um, outside of the art, did you guys find yourself kind of uh, making callbacks to those um, kind of inspirational games from uh, that like come from the time period that you're that you're at least working from artistically? Yeah, yeah, we've done lots of little nods and Easter eggs throughout, as well as um, I guess just some common things that work out in those types of games. Yeah, one of the more. Yeah, one... Go ahead. <laughs> Watching folks play through our game on streams and YouTube videos, I've noticed one of the more popular things we did. I know Tim was kind of our battle uh, director, so he came up with all the skills. And and uh, one of uh, the crowd favorites, this uh, character named Curtis, has a move called Suplex, which is a little reminiscent of Saban. And I'm just going to put it out for the record. He does not suplex a ghost train in Shadows of Adam, unfortunately. A mi- missed opportunity. I know, but he's pretty much suplexes <laughs> nearly everything else. So. That's fair. That's and fair. you don't have to enter a, a sequence of keys to use it. You just select it from the menu, and you, you're off to suplexing giant dragons, giant mushrooms, giant birds, That's... giant birds that throw ninja stars. Is it God? Which suplex was it modeled after? Like, so, is it just, are we like, 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 we're talking just like a standard suplex? Is this like a suplex off the top rope? No, straight up savings? Okay. All right. Picks them up, takes them off the screen, and slams them upside down. Just, come, just comes right back down. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of a of move. So it's, you'll be seeing it a lot. It's a lot of fun to use, I think. Especially against the final loss. I Which may or may not be God. Which may or may not be well, I mean, if you, I mean, I'm like, that seems like a very race stance esque question. Where if you given the chance to suplex God, you say yes. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think in like philosophy one hundred and one classes, uh, we're gonna they're gonna start introducing Shadows of Adam into the main discourse or a required study material. So, sure, makes sense. Makes sense. <clears throat> now, um. You know, trying try to go back and recall all the, the great things from uh, JRPGs of yore. How do you balance keeping the the old good stuff and not, you know, overriding it with new good stuff, but not being too beholden to the old, if that makes sense? Um, I think that we only sparsely make use of any actual... Um, element from an old JRPG from the Super Nintendo days, like things like treasures that get better the second time you visit a place is something taken directly from Final Fantasy VI, but that could literally come from any other game, too. But the people who know where it comes from are going to recognize that. Same with the suplex move that Curtis does. Those things stand on their own, and only make a subtle callback to the people who actually understand it. And otherwise, they just seem relevant to the genre for whatever unknown reason to those people Mm. who don't know it directly. 
So enough of those things, I think, create the right feel without dominating the game. Yeah, we we try to definitely be unapologetic for this, that this is a JRPG. You know, a lot of times um, indie games will make wonderful games um, that either, one, really try to reinvent the genre, which is great. I think that's very important to always be trying new things. And two, to either lampoon or parody a lot of the ridiculousness of JRPGs, like the fact that you have to kill God or whatever. Um, but ours, I feel, is a nice balance of respect and, and of the tradition and trying to have our own twist. I feel, especially like with what Tim had done with the battle system, it's very intuitive and straightforward, but I think it has a lot of interesting new twists that um, make the the battles flow a lot faster and a lot more engaging than your usual kind of old-school grind fest where you're mashing A to attack. I, I don't know about you, Tim, but when I, when I play through the game, I, I very rarely am just mashing attack. Unless I'm, like, super far ahead, then maybe I will, but oftentimes it's not even fast enough compared to how fast you can do using skills and things like that. Right. So there's rarely an advantage to it. There's maybe like four or five fights, and you actually look forward to them. But, so, that can be fun too, just when you get to basic attack something to death and enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's a nice little twist. Oh, sorry, good. I was just going to say, how how, um, how does the combat system work, and, and how does it differ from kind of traditional uh, JRPGs? Well, um, the main thing that I think sets us apart is that the uh, mana pool... Which is which? Our ability points in our in our game are fixed to a certain amount for every character. So every character has a hundred AP, and this um, this number replenishes every round. So every round you're going to auto regenerate fifteen of your ability points. And if you are if that character defeats an enemy, he or she will regain five AP back. And um, so it kind of uh, encourages skill use and. Um, and smart resource allocation. So um, most of your skills cost anywhere from 20 to 80 of your AP. And um, there's lots of uh, accessories and artifacts which can alter the amount you restore or alter the amount of your pull. And so I think that's a real big change. And we sort of took a chance on that. And playing through it and watching others play, we've kind of seen like an interesting metagame evolve from these choices, I would say. Maybe Tim would have more on that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and the basic premise of where this came from was mobile games and how each character has four skills, like three skills, usually two attack and a utility, and then they're like ultimate skill. And they all have cooldown timers, which regulate how often you can use them. And so when designing the four characters initially for the battle system, I wanted them to each have a unique fighting style that played together, sort of like MOBAs do back in the, um, yeah, like MOBAs do. So that was our way to sort of define each character. And from that, that's how the AP system came about, was to try and, like, model cooldown in a turn-based system instead of time-based. Okay. Yeah, and I I would say one more thing I I think that is pretty interesting and compelling about our battle system is that unlike, um, and Final Fantasy, I think, is the biggest offender of this, is... um, uh, games where you literally learn like four of the same skill, but it's just the next tier up. So you'll learn like fire one, fire oh, two, yeah. fire three, fire, just... fire, 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 yeah. And that's yeah, totally. you know, I, I dig that, and I love the Final Fantasy games, of course. But our game, you get, I think you get the skill suplex since this is kind of a relevant skill you talk about from Curtis, like at level six or seven, and you will be using that skill the entire game. It it scales with your level. It's useful. Um, uh, Kellen's first offensive skill, Cleave, is useful the entire game. So the next time he gets a single-target offensive skill, Heartbreaker, it's not just a powered-up version of Cleave. It actually does something different. It does damage and lowers defense, while Cleave is a little stronger, and um, it also has like a percentage uh, bonus based on, um, I believe it's how much HP the enemy has. Is that correct, Tim? Yeah, current HP. Right. So, like, the more HP they have, the more damage it will do. And then later on, Kellen will get a skill called Final Light, which is his ultimate skill, which does the opposite of Cleave. It does more damage based on how much HP the enemy is missing. 
so you can see how um, you can make these strategic choices about when it's best to use that. Cool. Very cool. Are there any special, like, so I know especially, like, going back to, uh, like, Final Fantasy VI and, and whatnot, like, the, the characters each had kind of, like, um, a flavor to them. And so even though their attacks kind of ended up doing sometimes a lot of the same things, uh, most of them were kind of, like, put in in different ways. And you mentioned kind of suplex was just a choice off of a, off of a menu. Um, are the, are, is there anything else other than just, like, straight-up choices? Which, I mean, of course, in standard JRPG, that's, that's fine as it is. But, I mean, is there anything extra that's required um, for any of the characters to kind of add a little... Uh, flair to it, or is it just kind of like, hey, this is what it is, the flair comes from their personality and, and what they can do? They have classes. Yeah. Classes, and also, I think the story is sort of also told through their skills. Um, like, a big plot point is the fact that Azriel can use magic, and so she is the only character on your party who uses traditional magical abilities. Um, and actually, one of her magical abilities, Lightning, is tied into a story element of how her and Kellen met in the past. Um, that's just uh, the work of our great scriptwriter, Luke, who's really great at tying sort of everything together to tell the story, I feel like. Um, another interesting example of that is that Curtis starts with a move called Mind Read, which um, is basically a, a generic scan ability. And I remember for a while, we, uh, the team, we would kind of go back and forth of whether we should keep it in the game because we felt, you know, maybe a scan ability is not useful. Um, but then we thought, you know, it also kind of like as an ability of what kind of you might think of someone who could read minds or have those sort of like esoteric abilities. It sort of helps also develop the character of Curtis because when you first get him in your party, it's very unclear what his motives are. So I think that's a way it sort of helps tie in. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, that's, that's super fair. And it's not often you see kind of like abilities like that that you kind of uh, tie back into the story. And I do look forward to seeing that that chick um, shock uh, with Kellen with lightning when he jumps up to suplex a cloud. That's <laughs> Wait, suplex totally cloud deserved. from Final Fantasy Seven. I mean, yeah, if he's A-Cloud. in the game, that's fine. I was just gonna say a cloud. But, well, I mean, if Cloud's in there, then yes, you got to suplex him, too. <laughs> well, can I, can I make an announcement, like a really big announcement? This is like a, a Dark Station exclusive. Um, Absolutely. So we yeah. are working with Square Enix to have, like, a, a DLC where you can revive Aerith in our game. So just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> uh, Aerith, Aerith, I don't know what the correct way to say it is. That's but... all, all of those. Somewhere, somewhere somebody just keeled over dead. So 20 years later, you know, you might not get Final Fantasy VII Remake, but damn it, you're going to be able to revive Aerith in Shadows of Adam. Is she going to be absolutely clueless as to where she is? Like, how the hell did no, I end up here? She's the final boss. She's the final boss. God, of course. If you have any questions about the legality of this, just talk to our lawyer. So. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's that's fantastic. That is fantastic. That's really my square Enix Tennessee. I don't even know. We're probably gonna get sued just for saying that or get a cease and desist letter. We're kidding. We're kidding. It's a joke. Uh, She's dead, folks. Get over it. It's been a while. <laughs> Seriously, find a new crush. Um and <laughs> So, uh, Tyler, uh, to the, the music of the game, um, how did you go about kind of composing and trying to, um, trying to create the soundtrack to this? I imagine you wanted to call back to, I don't know, um, ideas or the, the feelings that uh, a JRPG game may have given you, but how do you, how do you recreate that kind of stuff and just go about making music for a game like this? Um, well, I think uh, what strikes me about music of that era, and even back to the 8-bit era, is that it's very melody-focused. I feel like um, we can think of our favorite video games and instantly recall the melodies, like we think of Mario or Legend of Zelda or um, character themes and all the Final Fantasy games. And um, as music has evolved in video games, it's become more cinematic and orchestral, which is absolutely fantastic because a lot of my colleagues in Asheville were recording that music, and that's wonderful. But uh, I really tried to focus on Shadows of Adam to have strong themes, uh, melodic themes, and to write um, 
kind of a uh, Nobu Yumotsu writes writes a lot of um, light motifs or uh, character themes. So there's maybe like three or four main themes in the game that I try to weave through a lot of the different compositions. And um, you know, um, uh, I I studied. Uh, jazz composition in college which I don't recommend anyone do that if they want to make money but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I loved it though um, uh, and I you know I, I try to also include those sensibilities whenever I can because uh, I'm a huge fan of jazz and American music so but uh, yeah I think the main thing is like uh, strong melodies I hope and um, you know at its heart it's simple music right uh, the limitations of the software force these composers to be creative with less I think that's what's so appealing about those old songs. Yeah, mm-hmm. If you go back and listen to 8-Bit Mario, I mean, there's basically two tracks for melody. There's a bass line track and there's a percussion track. But anyone across the entire world could sing you the, the original theme for Mario Brothers. That's how amazing that composer, uh, Koji Kondo, was with such little um, a variety of sounds and uh, hardware and space. I think those, I mean, what were the original games, like 10 megabytes or something? I think yeah. I think one MP3 for Shadows of Adam is probably like five megabytes, and I wrote 45 songs, so you can already see like how much more limited these guys were. But uh, you know, limitation breeds creativity. I think. Did you did you force yourself to kind of deal with the limitations of of a game that would have come out back then, or did you kind of uh, cheat it to sound the same, but but kind of bring a bit more of that modern style to it? Um, just like our game design choices, I, I you know I want to capture that aesthetic while still modernizing it, so. Uh, it's not the sound quality. I think is a little bit um, improved from what you might hear in a 16-bit game. It's not as compressed because the file size doesn't have to be as small. And there are moments that I try to be a little bit more cinematic in a style that maybe sounds a little bit more modern, I suppose. Um, but like everything we do at Shadows of Adam, it's it's trying to find that perfect sweet spot between reverence and innovation and um, our own personal style. Because, uh, you know, we're also creators. We want to put our own stamp on things. Sure. What about uh, kind of a similar question to um, to the art style, uh, Tom? Like, how did you go about crafting the uh, the art style for, for the game? Because uh, I, I feel like a lot of people, you know, they say pixel art and think that that's some monolithic, you know, thing. But there's, there's so much variation there. Can you kind of talk to that? Yeah, um, well, a lot of our initial direction was directed towards um, trying to make make something of decent quality that would be quick to put together. That was the initial direction, and so we had this 8-bit look to the game, and we had I had this palette that I inherited in the, like three weeks earlier of the game's development, and was trying to work with that originally, and I think the first thing I did was say we should like up this palette from eight colors to sixteen or something like that. And so with that new palette, started making new art, and we had essentially a decent-looking Nintendo game working. And every time we made a new tile set, I think. I pushed the graphics just a little bit more in a different direction and kept doing that up until we got to a late Super Nintendo style of art. And after that, um, that's when we started outsourcing art. And I had been waiting for one specific person, this guy named Thomas or Cyan G-M-O-U. I don't really know how to pronounce his uh, online handle, but... He was a pretty good professional artist, and I saw his work and thought that he would do great for the game. And it's kind of his initial stylings of what we had finally put together that helped define the look of the game, which is that, like, cartoony but bright and warm palette that just stands out and stands on its own in a lot of ways. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. But, I mean, um, I guess going a little bit further, the characters and things like that, um, I wanted those to feel familiar, but also have some modern-day pixel art aesthetic 
which mm-hmm. in the pixel art community, if you look at games like Owlboy and stuff, there's a new focus on like um, sprites with form and nice color clusters, and they stand out and feel like bold, kind of like toys, like figurines of sorts, and that sort of style is what I wanted to stand out throughout all the game too. So you'll see that in the battle sprites and monsters, for example. Nice. Uh, does the does the game adopt the kind of our style of like the characters look one way when you're roaming around the world, uh, but then they look different uh, actually in the the battle screen, or is everything kind of the the same across the board? Um, I think we use the map sprites in the battle system. Mm-hmm. They're the same yeah. size, same scale. Yeah, like cool. like us, like Final Fantasy VI or Chrono Trigger, they don't scale up in battle. Gotcha. So. Very cool. Um, now, in the uh, some of the information about the game that's read, there there's no like random combat um, encounters or anything like that. Uh, what what was the? Wh- why did you check that out? Um, that was actually well, that was a decision we made to kind of adopt more modern gameplay aesthetics, sure. and. Uh, you know, random battles are, are a little bit frustrating, and we sure. wanted a big emphasis on exploration, especially in our dungeons. There's a lot of puzzles, there's a lot of treasure to find, and being constantly interrupted by battles is frustrating. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons. Uh, the second reason is, by controlling the battles you do fight, we can make each individual battle more unique and special. And uh, I've had folks comment to us saying, it really feels like every fight is a is a is an event, like it's a thing. You know, we can really think about um, the composition of the monsters in the battle, the particular meta strategies to defeat them, uh, weaknesses, learning patterns of enemies. So if you see them later in the dungeon, and I really have to give uh, hats off to Tim for doing a really great job with that. Um, I, I I just feel like you have a lot more control and you can get a lot more nuance if you can control that. And um, I'll give a shout out to. Um, Final Fantasy Mystic Quest because even though that game is very simple and uh, not amazing title, it that was like our main inspiration were uh, monsters that were on screen blocking sort of choke points in the map, and we just uh, took that straight from that and, and uh, I think it's worked out well with the way we've uh, kind of made our game. Yeah, thanks thanks to Luke's mapping skills. If they were Mystic Quest style maps where it's just like a New York Times maze, and then you see monsters <laughs> all in your face. Yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't be nearly as fun. Yeah, Luke did a absolutely unbelievable job with the map design. I think Tim might have done a few of the maps too, but um, I think yeah, that's Luke something did. to look forward to. I think Luke had a hand in even the ones I've touched at this point. Yeah. <laughs> well, nobody ever mentions Mystic Quest, so right on for you guys. Absolutely. Well, I, I will. I will. I want to give a shout out. I don't know who the composer was, but uh, he or she did a wonderful job with the Mystic Quest music. I mean, that's pretty much universally agreed upon. That Mystic Quest might not be a great game, but that music is pretty kick-ass. Awesome, Brian. Um, do you have any other thoughts before we go into the end game, or? No, I think we can go right into the end game. I'm, right. I'm fine with that. All right. Well, we like to end with a little bit of a questionnaire um, that's focused more on you guys than on the game itself or the studio. Um, so please feel free to pipe up uh, when you think of it. Um, the questions start hard and only get harder. Um, so, yeah, uh, you're just get ready to roll. Um, first question, so one we always start off with, um, who is your favorite video game protagonist? I'm going to go with Princess Peach for today. <laughs> I like the s- for today part of that. That's nice. <laughs> I like that. Uh, today she gets the props. <laughs> um, this probably doesn't count, but I'm going to say Odd Job from GoldenEye 64. If you were playing him in a multiplayer game, you could maybe assume him as your avatar. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> was there was there was there something to Odd Job that you're like, no, this is this is my dude? Well, I mean, he's short. He's short. <laughs> That's I mean, true. it's kind of an unwritten rule. You can't pick odd job. I was actually playing with a student of mine. He's a, he's just started college, and we were playing that game. And he picked odd job, and I said, Alex, you can't pick odd dude, job. What are you he doing? Said, Why Seriously. not? Hey, dude, when I was in third grade, that was a rule. That was written yeah. on. The, that was the eleventh commandment. You cannot pick odd job. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows. That was on the door before you came into the room. Thou shalt not pick odd job. Yeah, it's shunned for life. Like, what are you doing? Oh, oh, it's gonna be that kind of game. 
All right, hold on. Let me just set this golden gun over here, okay? <laughs> yeah, totally. I gotcha. All right, fair. I like that Princess Peach. Odd job. Uh, both answers I don't think we've ever had before. I don't think so. That's, that's yeah. good stuff. Uh, flipping the coin, second question, who is your favorite antagonist? You know, I'm just going to have to go with, I know this is going to be really cliche, but I'm going to say Sephiroth. I, I, that was one of the first games I played with FF7, and I remember being really struck by that by him. Um, he had a big sword. That, he that did. That Masamune was freaking incredible. Booster and his kick in um, Super Mario RPG. That's a good one. That's okay. awesome. I, well, good, great RPG. Yes, that's and another like, big influence. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, excellent. I like. I lo- I'm loving the way these answers are going so far. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Third question: um, Is there any um, uh, kind of trend or kind of small thing in video games today? Um, that you'd like to see kind of adopted more uh, by the general community? Something maybe like uh, some indie developers are doing that maybe not everybody's kind of caught on to yet, that you're like, hey, this would be great for everybody. Mm. Yeah. That's a tough Progressing one. the genres, I guess. Progressing, progressing the genres and putting together polished products with relatively fast turnaround time instead of five or six years of development. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I have too much to add. I, I kind of like the direction I see with indie games being very um, community-focused, building a community of people who are passionate about your game and really interacting with them. Um, that's been something that I've had a blast doing with Shadows of Adam is really interacting on a one-on-one basis through a stream or a tweet. And I, I think that's really cool, the kind of democratization of game dev development. I'd like to see continue that to continue. Have you, given that the internet is the uh, the internet, have you seen too much abuse of that? Have you have you seen the dark side of uh, kind of reaching out to the community at all? Uh, you know, I'd say overwhelmingly yeah, we've seen positive. So. Yeah, it's awesome. been very good. There's occasionally, like, maybe someone who has an axe to grind or a bone to pick. Sure. But they're a very small minority. I mean, most of the comments we've gotten are very constructive. If if they are not positive in nature, they're usually very helpful. We've grown a lot as uh, developers, and our game has gotten a lot better because of all the people who have interacted with us, I think. Okay. Very cool. Excellent. Oh. So flip it the coin. Oh, wait, um, can I go back to question two again? I think I want to change yes. my answer. Uh, sure. my, my, my favorite antagonist is, uh-huh. is God, I guess. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I will accept that change. Uh, yeah, yeah, Jonathan, go ahead and make a note. That's <laughs> Yeah, that's fair enough. Okay. Uh, question yeah, four. Uh-huh. Yeah, good. All right. Question four. Flip the coin to question three. Um, is there any, any kind of trope that, that video games do today that you're just like, man, kill it with fire. We don't need this anymore. Um, Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> Not to call anyone out by name, but... There's a number of them, any, anything like that. Anything like that? Kind of your but, standard, like, military shooter, or...? No, I don't know, just... Just games that release on a cycle. Yeah. Ah. They don't need to invent anymore. Sure. Yeah, I mean, they already have Golden Eyes, and that's far is the best. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially since you know the, the Golden Eye already has its rules set. We don't have to come up with new year, new ones every year. Right. Just don't be that jerk who plays odd job. Yeah, just don't pick odd job. That's pretty much the only rule. <laughs> Uh, I don't really. I can't do think these, of anything at the moment for my answer. Do these games? Do these games need an odd job? Would that <laughs> set them apart and kind of raise them to the next level? If there was something you could point to and say, "Well, just don't do that," and it's fine. I I don't know. It's a. I, I would love to see the uh, kind of more turn-based RPGs come out with the new developers, but I understand why they don't do it. You know. But I, I don't really have any too many bones to pick with the industry today. Okay, that's fair. Enough. 
All right, question five. Moving right along. Um, you guys are already living the dream. You're making games. You're making music. Playing trumpet by the day. Um, in the light of day. If you had the option, with no restrictions, of trying any other job, what would you like to do? Um, I'll be a chef for a day. A personal just, chef just for, for a day. <laughs> It's my. It's in my fifteen-year plan. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Personal chef to somebody, or just to like. Just people like just once a few week. public. Maybe a few public, probably. Okay. <laughs> seats seats twenty open for three hours, five days nice. a week. Uh, we serve the menu has one thing. It's all white. <laughs> it's all we serve here. <laughs> it's always foam. <laughs> always foam. Exactly. Just foam. <laughs> yeah, I guess if I had to pick one, maybe uh, I'm I love history, so maybe some sort of historian or you know researcher of that. I don't know. I I, I mean I feel like I'm living the dream, man. I mean I I freaking play the trumpet for a living and then write music and make video games. I mean I, I'm just saying, like a love of history right now. That, yeah. Based on the current, um, like, I would say Broadway climate, yeah. there's a there's a big historical thing there at the moment that you know you could easily fit more history things. I mean, find some sort of weird person to write a write a trumpet thing about them. Yeah, it's true. It's awesome. uh, but I've always been a fan of just like straight up like American history or our world or ancient world history. So uh, I, I like to read a lot of books of that. You should, you should do modern history and call it the Trumpet Diaries. The Trumpet Diaries. <laughs> <laughs> right. oh. I think that's, that's, my, that's my nickname. I, I am Donald Trumpet. So. Oh. All right. Terrible. We're moving on. Please. Uh, <laughs> uh, the the uh, penultimate question. Um, if you had the chance to play any game again for the first time, what would it be? Oh man, maybe like uh, you know what? I would I'm gonna say Mario 64. I mm. I distinctly remember when that came out. I was in third grade. I had a friend. Actually, he wasn't even my friend. I just became his friend because I wanted to play that game. Feel <laughs> kind of bad. I'm sorry, Eric, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. But I just remember seeing that game and how um, unbelievable it was, and it just blew my mind. I remember uh, the first time we got the key to go down in the basement and we went into the ghost world. I mean, my mind was freaking blown. I would love to experience that feeling again as a, as a young kid. Do you think, but would it be now or would it be in the past, reliving it in the past? Because oh, if, if you did it now, then would you really be blown away by it anymore? That's true. Yeah, what's the premise I, I, of the question? Are we going? I think are we we're like... assuming that you can have the same experience again. Oh, I'd say uh, Mario sixty four then. I mean, you know, it's uh, I spent like a year trying to get all one hundred and twenty stars, and now freaking people can do it in three hours on speedrun contests. So like, yep, you know what I mean. <laughs> the world is not the same anymore. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. All right. Final question. What, what? Tim. Oh, no. oh, Tim. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. I'll just. I'm gonna go with Shark Shark for television. Or actually, no, not Shark Shark. Utopia. There's a game called Utopia. For in television, and you got to like plant crops and build buildings and stuff. Even though it's like four like megabyte system, if that. <laughs> and it was two player. Actually. Oh, wow. Had huh. to be a two player because the other island just sat there otherwise. Cool. Is that like a predecessor to Civilization? Yeah. <laughs> it could it's essentially be, yeah. Ah, that's so. cool. Ask uh, Barry about that game if he knows about it. Yeah, random, random plug. I met Barry Caudill, who is the creator of, or one of the game developers at Fraxis. He's actually a saxophone player in the DC area, so. Yeah. I was on a $50 gig, and I was kind of grumpy about it until I realized the guy standing in front of me was a video game designer. There's my little shameless plug. That's awesome. That's fantastic. That turned that $50 into egg, you know, just picking his brain. Yeah. That's yeah, great. Absolutely. It's a very nice guy. That's, that's excellent. 
All right. Now, so now, Utopia. Now uh-huh. Well, I was just going to say now. Question. Yeah, All right. Now, now we can do, do it. it. All right. Final question. At the end of our lives, when we come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom, and uh, a good, dutiful toad is uh, there to meet us with the Book of Our Deeds, uh, what would you like him to say to you before he lets you in? Tyler, we don't hold it against you that you killed God. Multiple times. <laughs> Man, I'm either going to get sued by Square Enix or go to hell for this interview. Uh, okay. I mean, you know, so you both. It's like... <laughs> Limit yourself to just one. (laughs) (laughs) Why not both? Uh, Tim? Yeah. um, Okay. Just his Mario Kart soundbite from the first. What if if he just looked at your book, glanced at it for a little bit, and then looked you dead in the eye and said, You're the best! That was it. He like high fived you, and you're like, I'm a Luigi, number one. And then you start saying Mario Kart things. Any, any Mario Kart or Mario Party sample of him would do. That's terrible. Actually, the other day, the other day I was talking to Josh, our programmer, and he, uh, he, he, he's, he's actually like really good at bug fixing. So he fixed the bug. He's like, I just fixed it. I went, I went and checked it. I said, Great job, man. You're killing this. You're, you're really good at fixing bugs. And he just sent a little YouTube clip of Toad saying, "I'm the best" from Mario Kart <laughs> <Star> 64. <laughs> Well, I mean, if Toad you says guys it, are the then, best. then it's got to be true. That's right. That's right. That's if Toad says true. it, that's what it is. I, I, and I appreciate you using the uh, the, the Toad-esque uh, voice to do it. Um, but that's it. That's the end of our uh, little quiz. That's the end of the end game. Um, Jonathan, uh, tell them what they've won. You have won nothing. Congratulations. Um, uh, only our eternal respect and gratitude for being on the show with us <laughs> and uh, talking about uh, Shadows of Adam, whatever that's uh, worth, our eternal respect. But uh, thank you guys so much for, for joining us. If you could send us out by letting our listeners know, one, where they can go to find out more info about the game, and two, when they can get their hands on it and where. Sure. So Shadows of Adam is being released February 23rd. You can get it on Steam, Humble Bundle, or our website, shadowsofadam.com. So only eight days to go, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. Well, thank you guys once again, and uh, good luck as you kind of finish up development and get the game out the door and then move on to whatever's next. Thank you. All right, thanks. Thanks.